Welcome back to Footsteps in the Attic. It is holiday season arama right now because we're about to hit Thanksgiving week. And then, of course, we're leading right into Christmas. And you cannot think about Christmas without thinking about toys, one of my favorite subjects in all of the world. And speaking of the world, the best toy store in the world that I've ever been to was the toy department in Fairfield, Ohio. And I am so honored to have my buddy, Kenny Kepnick, the manager of the toy department here tonight to answer your questions. Please welcome back to the show, Kenny. Kenny, how you doing, my friend? Hey, hey, thank you so much for having me back. I'm doing pretty well. How are things going? Very well, my man. And uh, we talked a little bit prior to uh, coming on the air about the Danhausen event that you just had at the store. How did that go? Fill everybody in on the Danhausen signing event. Yeah, so that was pretty great. The uh, <clears throat> AEW uh, superstar Danhausen uh, had a new figure come out from uh, Jazzwares in the AEW line and decided to take to the take to the road and hit up a bunch of toy stores to do signings and he uh graciously asked if we would host him and of course we said yes and it was fantastic we had a line around the building and uh he signed for a solid two hours we had everything from kids who were too nervous to talk to (laughs) adults who had a a stack of a dozen things to get signed everyone in between did you uh find that once people were inside the store it's like in some cases, the signing kind of became secondary because they were so overwhelmed by the inventory that's inside the toy department. Yeah, we uh, there was one guy in particular. He kept uh, he kept like him him and his kid were in line, and he'd be standing there, and then like he'd see something across the store, and then he'd like leave the kid in the line, and then would, like <laughs> have to go over and started making like a pile at the counter of things. That, that he's like, I, you know, I don't want to lose my spot, but like, we'll finish shopping when we get done. And, and it, there was a, there was one group of, I think it was three or four people and they were there an hour and a half after the signing was over and they were still shopping. Oh, so I believe it. That felt great. Yeah. They said they'd driven in a couple of hours for it and it was their first time in the store. So it was a nice day all around. You know, I don't care where you live in the country. You have to experience the store. When I say you walk in and it's your childhood all over again it is it's literally every toy line you can think of from almost every decade and you just get lost in the aisles i mean please if you're listening make sure you take a trip to the toy department you will not leave disappointed and you will definitely not leave empty-handed <laughs> oh thank you very much that's uh that's always <clears throat> always heartening to hear you know it's uh our goal is to is to sort of make that that destination toy store that we would want to go to. So when we hear that other people are having that experience as well, it, it really hardens what we're doing. And it's all true. And I love the whole business philosophy, your business model. It's amazing. And, you know, Kenny, when I announced you're coming back on, of course, the emails come in. I get flooded with random toy questions for you. So if you don't mind, I'll fire some your way and uh, we'll have some fun, my friend. Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll do my best here to, uh, to uh, at least portray that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's all we ask. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, Jillian asks, what is the most expensive toy playset 
that you've ever seen or the rarest? Um, I mean, from a playset perspective, I think it probably, man, the expensive, rare, um, desirable. I mean, it probably goes to the, the USS flag. If I had to guess, uh, huh. right. Um, you know, it gets a little tricky with rare because, you know, they're around in pretty decent numbers, but they're rarely complete. Um, yeah, especially in box expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With, with all their parts, especially all the small parts and stuff they came with. And then of course, from a desirability and popularity standpoint, that is a, that is a grail piece for many a collector. Yeah. I was thinking that and the Eternia playset from Motu is just like, that's, that's oh, yeah. another big one, you know? Yeah, that's I always forget about Eternia. That that one from a from an expensive and rare perspective, that one actually but probably nudges it out because you know, anecdotally it feels like there are less of those out there. I mean, I've definitely had I've had more sealed flags uh, in front of me than I've had like loose complete Eternias. So right. yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm always stunned. Like people have the the space to display these toy sets, you know, these play sets, or even if just for the box, I mean, these are not small play sets. These are like fireplace length toy sets. <laughs> Absolutely. When we, um, there's a, a modern company, super seven, and they are doing a gigantic cat's lair, um, play set from Thundercats. Thundercats and, right. you know, <clears throat> great idea. Love Thundercats. Sounds super cool. Uh, they had it on display at PowerCon, and during load-in, we were dragging a cart full of empty boxes out to the van, and I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm kind of got my back turned, and I'm talking to the other guys, and I look up as I'm coming around a corner, and right in front of me, about two feet away, is the cat's lair. <laughs> and when I say this thing's big, like, the, the the head of the cat on the cat castle is, like, the size of a human head. It's <laughs> oh my God, gigantic, man. and this thing's, like, basically looking at me, looking me in the eyes, and it's completely out of nowhere, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> and I hear this chuckling off to the side and Brian Flynn, the, the guy who runs Super 7, he's like, yeah, it's effing awesome, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. But like, I'm walking around it and like, I don't know that I could wrap my arms around this thing. Right. I don't know where the, where in my house it would live as much as I love it. Yeah. And it, you know, a flag is going to be two or three times the footprint. Right. It's a, re- it literally like requires its own room practically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, like a lot of a lot of guys I know will try to turn it into like a coffee table display or something like. But I mean, if I remember right. correctly, it's like seven foot long. Oh my god, man! It's you know, incredible. That's, yeah, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. And you know, there's a lot of modern collectors. Oh, I wish that so and so would do a modern flag or that they'd re- reissue the flag. And I'm like, do you guys really want to pay the the thousand dollars or the fifteen hundred dollars for this seven foot long piece of furniture? Like, <laughs> touche yes you're right (laughs) you know an attorney is not quite as quite as big but you know it's tall and it's very broad it's got those those super cool tracks that go around it you know the same thing you you know castle grayskull is like you know the size of a mini fridge but then you get up to attorney and that's three or four times as big as a grayskull and i just i wish i had the i wish i had the floor space for that oh you and me both i mean honestly it's like you need a house for just the, the the toys for, you know, when you're talking those kind of play sets. Yeah, I have the, the Playmates Star Trek, like, bridge play set. Yeah. And it's almost too big. Like, I mean, you know, I, I barely have room for it. I couldn't, I mean, uh, 
I couldn't imagine some of these big, awesome play sets that people put together. <laughs> well, you know what? Speaking of uh, Motu and Eternia, I had a question, Motu-oriented. Um, Phil asks if you could explain Titus and Megator, and are they considered official Motu-lined toys? So, um, to answer the first question, I cannot explain anything Motu. I, uh, <laughs> I have a lot of fun with Motu um, from a design perspective. But yeah. I, up until the Kevin Smith cartoon from a couple years ago, I had never consumed any Motu story. Right. Um, all of my interactions had been from the toys, which leads me into the second question, which is Mattel issued uh, Titus and Megator figures in the Motu classics line, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, which at that point that, that puts them in the Motu canon for me. Right. You know, just like how they're doing Sunman in the origins and the masterverse line, which then brings him into the family. I mean, I would think that if, if Mattel has acknowledged them by making modern versions of them, then I guess that, that includes them. Very true. So, yeah, that's so true, man. Thank you for that. For those of you who may not be aware, Titus and Megator are quite large figures. Speaking of large, <laughs> to go along with giant play sets, these are some literal giant figures that are have now, um, I guess, been considered official parts of the Motu line. So Yeah, because I think the Motu Classics figures are 14, 12 or 14 inches tall. Yeah. They, they definitely tower over the regular release figures. Man, every I'm telling you, all these re-releases bigger and better, right, my friend? <laughs> right. I mean, that's you know, not to go on too much of a tangent, which you know, at this point, people might have put together. That's kind of what I do, but um, <laughs> yeah, the Motu Classics line is probably one of the most impressive toy lines ever. And again, this is from a guy that didn't grow up watching Motu or reading the comics, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's still, I mean, the breadth. You know, Mattel ran it for all those years, and then Super Seven picked it up and finished it. And, getting so many versions of characters and, you know, figures that hadn't been made or, you know, filmation versions of characters and just the, the sculpting and the playability on the line and the vehicles and one of the coolest toy lines ever made. Agreed. And, you know, the, the phrase toyetic is out there, but honestly, those figures are truly very toyetic. They're, they're perfect. <clears throat> yeah, really, really fun to, Whenever we get them in, I love to, to go through them. I've owned a few of them over the years, just some of the cooler characters that I liked. So fun. Agreed, my man. Um, Mike asks, what is considered the largest toy line ever produced? And I, I, I couldn't even guess. I was thinking either Star Wars or Ninja Turtles, but I, I don't know with variations. And do you have a, a clue on, you know, what would be considered the largest toy line? Well, I mean, so we had a similar conversation when um, when talking about the links of toy lines, right? Mm-hmm. Like what toy toy lines have been around the longest and things like that. And what you start to do when you really start to chew on it with people is you start to realize that it's the line you're not thinking about. It's Barbie and it's, ah. you know, it's the lines that have been consistently releasing things pretty much in the same format for decades versus like, you know, GI Joe has eras, right? Ninja Turtles has eras. Star Wars has eras, but by and large, you could 
play with Barbies that have been released in the last 50 years and they kind of go together still, right? Like very true. Very true. And wow, what a, <laughs> what a great point how those can be overlooked because they're kind of right in front of your face growing up. So they can go kind of unnoticed because they're considered like a constant, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, you know, we were, we were ranking, you know, um, how long toy lines had been around for. It was the conversation was centered around Funko and the comparison of Funko pops to beanie babies. And, you know, but it was this, this realization that we had where it's like, Oh man, pops have been around for like 11 years now, which is longer than most toy lines exist. And then we really, you know, and we started to go through and really pick apart the lines and we're like, all right, well, real American hero GI Joe that lasted, which is, you know, the O-ring era that was like 12 years. Yeah. And, and then we started to go through and it was like, all right, turtles was, those turtles like, like nine years or something, you know, and we were trying to break it up depending on when, you know, when they changed the direction of the line, changed the figures stylistically or, you know, started a new line or whatever the case may be. And then, yeah, what we came down to was it was going to be lines like Barbie, Hot Wheels, and then Star Wars gets a little nebulous Mm -hmm. because, you know, even if you ignore the power of the force stuff and start with Revenge of the Sith, where the the molds get pretty modern and the articulation gets decently modern, you can probably start a new era in that like oh five oh six range and then that you know four inch star wars starts to be pretty long running at that point yeah no great points so mike this is why we have kenny on because (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't have thought of any of that so very very astute answer my friend (laughs) when you sit around a toy store all day with a bunch (laughs) of other toy collectors work and you have a lot of really weird conversations that lead us down a lot of (laughs) rabbit holes Well, I got another question for you here. Frank asks, why do certain companies, and this has gone on for years, short box certain toys such as Scratch the Cat for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle line? And my you know, guess would be just to simply create demand. But you, you take this one, my friend. Well, it's a mix of, you know, some companies do it to create demand, right? An example mm-hmm. for that would be uh, the aforementioned Funko Pop line when they put a chase figure in. And other companies do that too, right? AEW uh, has been famously doing that for the last couple of years. McFarlane's yeah. done it for years. Toy Biz Marvel Legends did it. And you would, you know, you would short pack a figure to make it more collectible, more desirable. Um the more practical reason that I think um, is probably why most companies do it in a non-chase format is simply based off of they're worried about overproducing slower selling characters. Mm. So famously, the Power Rangers automorphin figures from the 90s, the flipheads as they're commonly called, um, the girls were short packed. I think the case breakdown was like two of each guy, uh, male ranger, and then like one of each female ranger, something like that. And um, it's because they were worried that the female rangers weren't going to sell, and they didn't want their retailers to get stuck with, you know, a bunch of undesirable figures. So uh, you see that in other, you know, you can kind of track it with like Marvel Legends, right? A lot of times, Marvel Legends lines would have waves would have um, a couple of core characters 
sort of in it, right? Because your retailers always want to have a Spider-Man on the shelf, or right. an Iron Man, whatever the case may be, right? And to your general consumer, if you're going to send a case of eight, an assorted case of eight figures, you know, they would probably prefer to have main characters over side characters. Very um, true. If a side character gets popular enough, then the value goes up because they're short packed. So, and then if you're like us and you have that itch and you want to complete that line, we're going to hunt those down and, and find them. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the flip side, right? Where it's like, you know, if you have, if you have, you know, two of three different figures in a case and then two figures that are single pack, you've got two completionist collectors shopping, yep. you know, there you don't, you, you can't get a full set for everybody. And then that of course drives up the, the price. <laughs> and that's why we have the toy department. So see, it all works out full circle. <laughs> so I like this cause it's uh from, I got a lot of questions from female collectors, which I really like to see. Um, Maggie asks, um, she, well, let me, okay. She said, I just started collecting, this is kind of cool. Cause my cousin actually has shout out to my cousin. Bobby has the complete line of all these figures plus the LJNs and the variants. So, um, he will like this question. She said, I just started collecting the WWE Hasbro figures. Does Kenny know which ones are the hardest to acquire? I've heard Yokozuna and Billy Gunn are the toughest to find. Yeah, I mean, Yokozuna is pretty tough. Um, you know, any of the, was it the green card series there at the end, that, that last wave, those are, those are really tough. Um, you yeah. Know, hundreds of dollars a piece. Um, but they do turn up. I think what you start to get into is, oh, was it the, there's like a mail away Hogan. Yeah. That's really tough. Yep. That rings um, a bell with the Hasbro. Yeah. And then the mail away um, Undertaker. Yes, you're right. Yes. Cause he had the soft goods, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then there was a, and again, it depends on how down the rabbit hole you want to go. It was, I think it was a fun school razor Ramon where he's like color swapped. Okay. Right. What color he was wearing. My, my cousin Aaron at Roma collectibles had one a year or two ago and we were talking about it. Like, I mean, he might be, is he wearing, is he wearing red instead of that's, purple? That's ringing a bell. That's ringing a bell. I think you're right. There's a color variant on it. Yeah. Those are, you know, those are really tough, especially cause I think the, was the Hogan a UK? I think he was. Yes. Too? Yeah. So then you, you know, then you've got to not only do you have to find someone who had it in a childhood collection, but then you have to find it, you know, relatively near to you. Which yeah. Is tough. So Maggie, you better, uh, you know, you're going to have to dip into the bank account if you want the full line. That's, <laughs> that's, you know, yeah. what I'm guessing. That's a, that's a rabbit hole too. That's a consistently climbing line. You know, we've yeah. been, you know, we've been a functional store for almost six years now. And, you know, it seems like every time we restock them, they go up in price. And yeah, some of that's because they're cool and desirable. And they're, you know, it's a pretty manageable line as far as like volume, right? Like if you want to complete it, it's not like a, it's not like collecting GI Joe, we're going to have to buy right. whatever it is, 250 figures, but they get pricey. And then now you have all those modern companies that are coming yeah. in to do retro figures, whether it's Mattel themselves or, Companies like Zombie Sailor Toys or Cella Toys that yeah. are doing the 
they fit the right in with style, them. Yeah. Yep. Right. No, they're literally they're completing that unproduced orange card line. That's unbelievable. You know, they're doing the characters that Hasbro was going to do that they never got around to doing. That's it's awesome, but yeah, you know, it's like man, going back to complete the run now. That's oh yeah. Just when you think you're done. Uh, now I need all these. Yep. <laughs> um, I like this curse. Yeah, damn right, my man. <laughs> um, this is an interesting one, and I've actually thought about this before too. Um, Ray asks, "How does a company like, for instance, Ringside Collectibles, get the rights to make exclusive WWE figures when WWE holds very close copyrights? Because they are, you know, they very much." Let's just say WWE is quite litigious. <laughs> you know, they will go after somebody who is. So, do they? Does a company like Ringside approach WWE and make deals to make exclusives? Is that how that works? No. So, what they would do is they would work directly with the manufacturer. So, um, using a recent example that relates to an earlier conversation uh, we had. Uh, the aforementioned Dan Housen has a mm-hmm. ringside exclusive um, deluxe figure through Jazzwares. Um, so ringside would work with Jazzwares to secure the um, the exclusive. And so ringside would have worked with Mattel to secure exclusive rights to a figure. Okay. Or back in the day, they would have worked with Jack Specific. Um I actually helped my, again, someone we talked about earlier, my cousin at Roma Collectibles. He did an exclusive through Boss Fight Studio in their Vitruvian Hacks line, a figure called Gazog. And that process was essentially, you know, we went to them and we said, hey, we'd like to make an exclusive. And they said, okay, this is how many you would have to order. This is, um, you know, what it's going to cost. And then we got to make, we got to design the figure. And, and so basically we paid for the figure to be made, right? Like yeah, we paid for it up front and then we got to like keep the money or Aaron got to keep the money that wow. he made from selling the figure. Right. So ringside would go to <clears throat> Mattel who, you know, I suspect given that they had exclusives with Jack specific, they have pretty good connections in the community and they probably went to Mattel and were like, Hey, you know, we'd love to pay to, you know, however many figures they make, you know, a thousand figures or 2000 figures or 3000 figures. Like, Hey, we'd love to have an exclusive. What can we have? What can we do? And, and then it just comes down to negotiating with the company. Um, I'm sure that the licensee has final approval on things that can be released. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I would imagine that a lot of those conversations are primarily between the manufacturer and a company like ringside or whichever retailer. Uh, see, that's thank you for that very in-depth answer. That's awesome. Thank you. Because you uh, satisfied my curiosity, too, because I always wondered about that. So <laughs> thanks for asking that, Ray. And thank you for answering that, Kenny. <laughs> of course. No, it's, it's super cool. Um, you know, and, and, you know, companies do this across the board, right? Like Funko has their exclusives with Hot Topic and things, you know, or, or Walgreens. And yeah. Black Series and Marvel Legends do it. So it is, you know, as a as a producer of figures, right? It's great because you get somebody to cover the cost of making a figure in your line. And it's a great way to expand your line or put out some cool product for your, you know, for your customers. But 
someone else is covering the cost. Yeah. I got great. I mean, it's a win-win. Yeah. Uh, especially for collectors. <laughs> um, uh, that's the other thing too, right? Is like if someone's making an exclusive or, or paying for an exclusive, a lot of times they're going to put the work in to make yeah. it extra cool because they want to have something great that's going to sell. You know, that was a conversation that my cousin and I had as we were working on the figure that he made where we, you know, we were just back and forth like, Oh man, could we do this and this, and this to make it a little cooler? And you know, so it's always something to, I like to think about that when I see someone announce an exclusive where I'm like, Oh man, I bet you they had fun cooking this up. Like, right. If I, it makes me want to have like molds and the ability to make figures because the imagination can just run wild with everything you could come up with to make like right. the ultimate figures. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's, really the coolest thing about indie toys right now is how much of that's going on where there are guys that's incredible it's, yeah people with 3d printers or people that have full-on factory setups or whatever the case may be they're just like i have this crazy cool idea for a toy let's see if i can figure out how to make it yeah it's great i i recently went to this horror convention and um aaron gray was there from buck rogers and i was you know a huge buck rogers fan I actually bought a Buck Rogers figure from the toy department, uh, which was awesome. Um, and a buddy of mine who runs a hobby shop 3D molded the space vampire from this one episode and painted it up. And she saw it and was just blown away. And that just got me thinking how incredible it is that now people can think up these things and bring them to life. And just like what you were saying, it's like there's no limits now to the imagination and and bringing it to fruition. Yeah, I mean it's it's honestly it's it's incredible the stuff that people are coming up with and yeah sometimes it's unlicensed. Yeah, know, uh, you know fan customs of you know pop culture licenses or it's you know before a lot of these companies were producing them you know again going back to the Hasbro stuff like people were making customs of unproduced figures from lines that got canceled over the years and things like that. But, you know, now more and more it's, you know, people making original ideas or, you know, there's a, I'm really into a bunch of these independent O-ring lines. They're making yeah. O-ring figures that are going to fit right in with your eighties Joes. And it's awesome. Cause these are guys who grew up playing with them and they're, you know, they're basically living out a fantasy of like, man, I really wish GI Joe didn't, end it'd be awesome if i had been able to help make you know help keep it alive yeah That's so cool yeah well you know you and i are gi joe people so i uh i'm, I'm applauding you from here my man <laughs> <laughs> and i and i fully admit on top of you know my favorite characters of course you and i have that in common zartan's my favorite and then i have the dreadnoughts the original cobra commander and then i love to try to collect the harder to get mailaways, like the refrigerator Perry figure, which I found so random that I had to have it. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's such a fun one. Yes, you know, it's just like William Perry and GI Joe. You know, <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's great, and I know that's actually one that a lot of people are hoping gets the modern treatment at some point with classifies. Like, yeah, really hoping that they can work the rights out for it. Oh, totally, completely. Um, actually, you know what, since we're on the Joe talk, I want to fast forward to this one question that was actually later, but I I'm curious what your thoughts were on this. Brad asks, why did Hasbro introduce the Cobra law? 
to the G.I. Joe universe, because before that, the cartoon was, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say reality based, but it was grounded on Earth. And then all of a sudden we get these extraterrestrial, you know, beings in the mix of the toy line. And I can't help but think that was just solely done for the purpose of creating cooler looking toys or toys that they thought would appeal to people. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why they did everything in the 80s was to make uh, cooler looking toys that they could sell to kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, so that's an interesting question that I don't know that I've ever heard an answer to. Yeah. Um, I'm friends with the guys that run G.I. Joe Declassified, which is this group of G.I. Joe historians, basically. Yeah. Um, I'll have to I'll have to ask them the next time I get a chance. I mean, I would suspect that it was probably, I would be surprised if even it was a Hasbro, like if it was something Hasbro dictated so much as maybe one of the writers came up with, or one of the toy designers was like, this toy line is super popular. We should do something that's similar to it aesthetically. Right. Like, you know, if the line was dipping in sales a little bit, maybe they're like, Whoa, you know, people like, space stuff right now or right like what year was what year were the i'm were God, the figures? i'm thinking it was that late 80s was that yeah, i'm trying i'm trying to think if like if that could have been timed as such to have been a response to like ninja turtles maybe like yeah yeah that's very colorful true. mutant thing um you know i think it's hard i mean it's kind of hard to to not see the response to pop culture around it and stuff like battle force and ninja force. And then eventually like ninja commandos, which got canceled. Um, but a lot, you know, a lot of those waves people tend to look at as responses to current pop culture at the time. So I would wonder if, if that wasn't some of it, you know, very true. Very true. Well thought out again. I'll be curious what your friends say about it. The Cobra law. So we're going to have to have that on for the next time. You'll have to update everybody on it. I have to set a (laughs) reminder for that. These guys are, are infinite wealth of knowledge. And, um, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them can refer me to like an interview where it was discussed or something even. So (laughs) that's awesome. Now I'm, I'm, I'm actually very excited to uh, find out the answer. So, I'll probably be texting you in advance. <laughs> uh, Tara asks, so this is kind of a fun one. Do you consider Mad Balls a toy line or a sporting a sporting good? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's actually kind of fun. Um, right. I mean, Mad Balls had head poppers. So, you yes. know, they had figures. Um, and then, of course, Premium DNA is now making... Uh, modern Mad Ball figures, which are super fun. If you ever get a chance to get one in hand, uh, it's one of those toy lines that it's not until I think you hold it that you're like, wow, this is a giant, hefty chunk of toy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but back to the question, I, you know, uh, I like I like the crossover of the of the sporting good and and toy category. So maybe right. we can treat it like Nerf and say that it lives in both camps. <laughs> there you go. What a great answer. <laughs> it's both Tara. There you go. <laughs> um Rhonda asks, what is Kenny's least favorite GI Joe character and least favorite 
Star Wars character? Oh, least favorite. Yeah. G.I. Joe character. I'm I mean, so there's not, <laughs> I don't know that there's a Joe that I'm like actively like don't like. So I almost feel like it would just have to be one that I'm apathetic towards. Okay, that's fair. And I guess it would probably be my my heart says quick kick. <laughs> okay, right. Like I you know, yeah. I know people have their attachments to it, but he just he more than almost any and this is coming from the guy that loves the neon green pants and orange mohawk of a ninja <laughs> for Tartan. But like quick kick always felt really out of place with the yeah. team, right? Like he's running yeah. around shirtless and you know <laughs> I get what it was the eighties. I get what they were going for, but also does he really belong on the squad? Like, right. In, in a battlefield, no shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that probably gets the nod for, for GI Joe. Good answer. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, I mean, you know, we know the one that comes to mind that everybody I'm hates. Not, like, that's a little, like, I understand people not liking him but the problem with that was i was the right age for, for Jar Jar to hit, right? Like, i got you and like i really feel like the controversial answer the thing i want to say is grogu well, there um, you go there you go because he is the you know the deus ex feloni he is dave feloni's way of getting himself out of any writing situation that <laughs> he needs to so um i am not a as, as popular as he might be I am not much of a Grogu fan, unfortunately. There you go. See, I love that. Kenny will always give an honest answer. So there you go. <laughs> How about Lee? I'll just throw one in. How about your most favorite Star Trek character and your least favorite? Ooh, Star Trek. Yeah. Mm, well, I mean, favorite, I I mean, it has to be Q, I think. There you go. Um, I was always a big Q fan. Um, Good answer. John Delancey is... Oh, he's fantastic. He's brilliant. Um, oh, man. Least fa- I mean, Wesley. There you, go. <laughs> there you go. That didn't take long. You were like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> I was just about to say, like, oh, man, it's hard. Like, I even like Voyager. Like, I don't, I don't dislike a lot of Star Trek. And then I look down at my next-gen bridge and the figures that are on it, and immediately I'm like, oh, there's one of like the top 15 next gen cast members that's not in it. And it's Wesley Crusher because he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Again, real answer right there. Thank you. <laughs> and by far the most passionate of the three answers that I gave, right? Like, <laughs> I love that though. There's no hesitation. <laughs> um, this is an interesting one. Greg asks, why were the Shogun warrior toys released? in the late seventies, I believe that was, or early seventies, even though they were Japanese based. So I guess he was asking like at the time, American children would have no idea who these characters were aside from the Godzilla that was released in the bunch. Was it just because of, you think the sheer look, the aesthetic that they were big and they thought it doesn't matter whether they're familiar with these characters or not. I mean, that, that would make sense to me. I confess mm-hmm. that I am, you know, even, even, you know, knowing more for stuff that was older than me than a lot of people my age. Yeah. That era starts to get a little out of my wheelhouse. I gotcha. It's an intro. Like, honestly, I would love a, like a nice half hour documentary on Shogun warriors in general, because I mean, 
it is a fascinating toy line. Um, yeah. They're super cool. But I mean, I, I just assume that, you know, who, uh, who, what company did the distribution in America? Like who's on the box? Even? I know I'm going to have to look that up because I'm drawing a blank on that. I remember them. I mean, I had the one, the, the you know, the, the, uh, not the Godzilla, the, um, you know, the, the robot, the, uh, that fired the missiles. Um, Is that Mazinga? yes, yes. Yeah. I had that, but I, but I never had the, I actually, I want to get the, uh, the Godzilla just because it's so damn cool. Who doesn't want to fire a fist? <laughs> you know? David is, uh, Super 7 did a reaction Godzilla. Yes, I saw that. And I'm like, I don't have room for a giant Godzilla, but I'm going to get this little one. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, Not a bad idea, I Kenny. That, you know, some genius was just like, man, I think I can sell some of these in the States, right? Like, yeah. You know, it was probably looking at the market in the late 70s. There's not a lot of robot stuff. Like, you know, maybe they were like, Godzilla's popular and I can get this Godzilla figure if I can get, you know, I don't know. if I assume Godzilla had been shown on, like, TV back then. Right, right. Yeah, it definitely was. Because I, yeah, I so it, you know, it could have even just been a thing where they were like, Godzilla's popular. And for me to be able to sell these Godzilla figures, like, we got to bring the other stuff. So, like, let's try it, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it definitely would not be the first time. I mean, we had the the power Rangers made their way over the, I mean, even the transformers had their roots in, you know, the, the far East. So it definitely has happened. Yeah. I mean, it's that, you know, it, it, you know, whether it was Voltron or, you know, again, transformers or battle beast, which is a transformers. Yeah. Sub-series, basically. Yeah. And then Haim Saban famously with power Rangers. I mean, one of the, one of the biggest home runs in, you know, business pop culture. And then he turned around and sold it to Disney and then bought it back from him for a loss and then sold it to Hasbro. I mean, that guy has triple dipped on that franchise. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Um, Matt asks, what are some of the easiest toy lines to collect from the eighties and nineties? I know um, the, the two that stuck in my head, there was one called monster force and, I think that was released in like 94 and those were just about, I think like maybe six figures or seven. And then of course the Dick Tracy line, other than the blank, because right. then you're going to pay up big time. But those were the two that came to my mind, but are there any other toy lines you could think of Kenny, that would be relatively easy for somebody to complete? I mean, so monster force is pretty inspired, especially because that was a playmates line. They're cool and they're still pretty affordable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even think there's any like because when the when the question first hit, I was like trying to think of some of the iconic lines that are maybe still manageable and affordable, and so I was really trying to stick into the '80s. But if we dip into the '90s, you know, there's a lot of those lines that just kind of came and went, and you know, they're not crazy. You know, Dick Tracy's a good example. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean. Yeah, it's hard. There's a lot of, you know, because there were a lot of like little obscure lines, but it's, they don't immediately come to mind. Right. And even some of those, like one that's close to you, right? The, the Remco Universal Monsters. Yeah. Yeah. They get, they can get, you know, a little pricey. They can get a little pricey. I can, I can, <laughs> I can tell you firsthand 
I had to have a monsterizer to go with it because right. of the others. And that was the most expensive piece, even more than the play set. Right. You know, um, <clears throat> as far as, you know, affordability and ease of access, you know, we were talking about, you know, Power Rangers was 94 and you can get the first couple Megazords and, you know, sort of the full set of, you know, the full team of figures for pretty cheap. There you um, go. You know, a lot of it kind of depends on your personal on your taste. Budget, though, yeah. You know? Like I think that Dick Tracy is really a good call because you are mm-hmm. looking at what, like eight to 10 figures. Yeah. And they're all like 10 to 20 bucks a piece. Yeah. They will not break the bank, you know, unless you yeah, want Madonna. Like, a lot of the ones that I keep thinking about going where it's like, Oh, like gargoyles. And it's like, yeah, but there's a couple of figures there that are, you know, you're going to be at like a hundred bucks a piece oh, on or like, right. Or a brief line like Centurions or Silverhawks. They're cool. There's not a ton of them, right? Like it's, you're probably less than 20 pieces to complete the set. Yeah. But like they get, you know, they can get pretty expensive. There's a couple of the pieces that can get pretty expensive. Um, Superpowers is pretty manageable, but again, the last like three or four figures you're going to need are going to cost you, you know, you're going to be paying probably $1,500 for just a couple of figures. Yeah. Um, so that's that's tough. Now I know tomorrow when I'm walking around the store, I'm going to see something <laughs> hanging on the peg, and I'm like, I can't believe I forgot about that, that toy line. <laughs> hey, listen, that just means we get to bring you back, and then you can, you know, expand on the question. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Right, right. Um, this is interesting. Gavin asks if Kenny knows of any other controversial uh, controversial toy lines that were pulled were never released other than Jang. I mean, I thought Django unchained. I know those were pulled before they even hit stores because of the racial thing going on, but I can't think of any other toy lines immediately that were pulled. I mean, I don't know. Is anything, anything controversial that you know that, that no full yeah. lines. I mean, you know, you have one off examples, right? Of course, the, the most famous being the rocket firing Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there was a DC Universe Classics Cheetah, uh, the Wonder Woman villain that apparently got recalled because she appeared to be nude. Oh, well, there you go. That's, that's a good answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it was a pretty big one coming from Mattel, you know, in like the mid-2000s. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. I know there was a there was a Toy Biz Marvel Legend, and it was like a Blade figure, I think, that came with a reprint of a comic book that had a no-no word in it. And I think that one was recalled, okay. if I remember correctly. But But as far as like, full-on lines especially something i mean i've had django figures in hand so like yeah. they exist yeah i i um, i actually have the complete collection so that yeah, you can you can get them so like you know how many toy lines have been pulled or nuked sort of mid mid delivery like that yeah. um you know none of them are really jumping to mind yeah um, i i couldn't think of anything either yeah, I mean, I think that's that's probably the. I mean, it seems the biggest example. Yeah, um, I think there was like a, a, a that children's like plastic fairy that like could launch, but I don't remember what they were called. There's a famous one on YouTube where it like winds up in the fireplace. The girl like hits it, but I don't remember what that line was. I think maybe they that were, they were like spinning. 
Denny, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe oh, they were pulled. Yeah, but, there was a boys line that yes that went along with my sister had the the fairies, and I can't remember for the life of me what they're called. I, oh, I can't right either. There. <laughs> I feel like I had this exact same situation happen at the at the front counter at the store like a year ago. We had one come in, and we were racking our brains trying to remember what it was called. Well, you you uh, deal with thousands of toys, so it's okay to uh, draw a blank every now and again on one when you're looking at toys all day long. For you know, it doesn't help because we can't figure out, we can't remember the name, so people can't like Google, Google right. or whatever. But right. these things would you know just to to follow up on your fireplace story, like the way these figures were is like they had this little base. They were terrible figures because they <laughs> you would just like stick the you know the sort of non-moving figure in the base and then you would like rip a zip cord and it would spin them around and their arms had like plastic wings. And when you spun them, the wings would go out and then they would kind of like those, those seeds that fall out of trees, you know, like they would (laughs) sort of whirly bird down to the ground. And that was the extent of the toy. Um, (laughs) But, (laughs) but anyways, uh, someone will know the name of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's totally going to hit. It'll hit you probably five minutes after we're, uh, done this so uh we'll we'll update (laughs) what is (laughs) this is funny hugo asks what is the crappiest toy line you've ever seen (laughs) produced my my immediate thought was battlefield earth with john travolta terrible movie those are those are (laughs) those are pretty bad like it's hard uh that's another one that I forgot about. If you want, I mean, that's that's a bad one. Um, <laughs> I've seen I've seen prototypes for that line not sell for like a hundred bucks. Wow, um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot of the weird licensed stuff, right? Like the yeah. um, the Marky Mark Planet of the Apes movie has pretty terrible toys. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a there's a couple really rough. There's a uh, like a four inch parts of the Caribbean line that has terrible figures. Uh, the aforementioned uh, spinning toys that we were just talking about that uh, <laughs> right. I couldn't remember the name of. Those are pretty terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, Battlefield yep. Earth's a bit of a, a bit of a home run. It's almost cheating. <laughs> uh, Why? Thank you, sir. I appreciate. It. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, it's almost mean to to na- like some of the ones that come to mind, right? Where I'm like, oh. You know, like the Hercules and Xena figures from the nineties. Yeah, but like the, the, yeah, yeah they, they just, it was the nineties, and they were what they were. Yeah, you know? um, I, I have some of those, and they are—they're just pretty bad. You know, I mean, I love the shows, but the figures left something to be desired. Yeah, yeah, they didn't quite hit the mark there. No, they um, did not. Yeah, I mean, you got to get in, and you know, of course, there's so many obscure lines, but I mean, as far as like main toy lines go i mean battlefield earth is a pretty big hollywood property and that you yeah know, just a, i think that's a that's a great choice thank you it completely bombed too i remember they paired up with like mcdonald's and everything or burger king and it just tanked the movie tanked <laughs> it really did and then when i saw it i understood exactly why i didn't see it in the theater of course i saw it later yeah, yeah um, that's a that's an inspired choice. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, Britt asks what toys Kenny has recently added to his collection. Oh, 
Let's see here. Uh, so I recently picked up, uh, I've talked about them a couple times, but my friends over at Boss Fight Studio, they just made a Zorro and Elena figure from the Antonio Banderas Mask of Zorro <laughs> That's movie. awesome. Yeah, so I picked those up, and those are incredible. Um, <laughs> this is This is almost cheating, but I think it still counts. Go My friend it. over at Rage and Spoon, uh, he's a uh, sculptor and toy designer. He, at Joe Fest last year, he had a 3D scanner with him, and he 3D scanned my face. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I bought some uh, six-inch scale heads of me. Dude, that's sick. <laughs> of course you have to. I would do that in a heartbeat. You can't yeah. not want an action figure of yourself. Come on. Did, did it do it justice? Oh, I think we lost you, Kenny. You there, my man? Welcome back. Sorry about the slight interruption earlier. Kenny and I do not know what happened. We were having this awesome conversation. Somehow, you know, life happens. We got... Uh, cut off but we were talking about kenny's additions to his collection and he was saying that he had a six inch uh or is the what the, wait how big were the heads that you got that you bought scale, so they, they fit like gi joe classified and marvel legends and stuff like that that is hilarious that's awesome They're like who doesn't want an action figure of themselves yeah it was it was super cool it was like oh like hasbro is doing this whole selfie series thing but this is like a step above it so the first thing I do is immediately pop it on a steel brigade body. Like now I have my own steel brigade. <laughs> that is phenomenal. I, and I would do the same. Believe me. And everybody else wants the, who in life does not want a toy of themselves. Come on. Like that's to me, like that's it. You've, you've made it when you can walk into a room and see a little replica of yourself on a shelf. So I would have done the exact same thing. Right. It's fantastic. And then I'm like, you know, of course, my kid wants one immediately. So I'm like, all right, well now I got to get one for my kid too. It's, it's super fun. <laughs> and I think there are companies out there where you can, you can submit pictures. I mean, I'm sure they're not, they're definitely not as accurate as a full scan like you got, but they're that technology is out there for people to get, have their own custom action figure made, which is so awesome because I definitely did not have that growing up. Yeah, I mean, there was even uh, Mark II Design, which is a, he's a, you should call him a digital sculptor, and he does a bunch of uh, custom weapons and stuff like that that he sells. He set up at his booth at Joe Fest and had a scanner, and he was, you know, for a fee, you could sit down and he would scan and, 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 and do heads of you and, and your friends as well. So it's starting to become so accessible that, you know, you might be able to find it at an event near you. Unbelievable. That is so cool. Again, I, you know, for all the, uh, you know, some of the issues I have with the more modern toys coming out, that is something which I will say is beyond cool and something we would never have access to growing up. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's still a little wild, but, uh, yeah, it's super cool. Um, just a few more questions for you, Kenny, and thank you for, again, donating your time. And uh, sorry, we had a, a little snafu at the very end of that last question, but I'm glad we got to complete that, 
you know, because people want to know what's Kenny collecting? What's he up to? Any more green arrow or Zartan pieces? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Steve asks, what is considered the toy convention to attend? Man, that's a loaded Um, question. Yeah, I mean, so. And and it kind of depends what you're looking for, too. You know? Yeah, so that's definitely part of it, right? Like, if you are a GI Joe collector, I don't think there's anywhere else on the planet that you're going to find better stuff than at Joe Fest in Augusta, Georgia, right? Right. Um, as far as like general toys and a celebration of toys, uh, PowerCon, uh, the last two years here in Columbus has been absolutely incredible. Some of the best indie creators in the world right now we're set up showing off what they're cooking uh vintage toy dealers from all around the country gathered modern toy dealers i mean it truly was a a comic-con of toys right and that was that was super impressive um you know if you're more into treasure hunting you know and you want to dig through bins and you want to go to the toy shows where you're going to find you know, you might find the, the booth of really crazy stuff, you know, um, the Chicago toy show in, in Kane County, just outside of Chicago. That is a, a pretty notorious show for especially vintage finds. Mm-hmm. Um, the great Ohio toy show here in Xenia in my own backyard yeah. um, has really the last couple of years really cemented in its name as a, as a place to go to find some really wild stuff. Um, and that, and that's different from toy Ohio, right? Kenny. Yeah. 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 Toy Ohio is another event that I think is about two or three hours North of here. Okay. Yeah. I've heard good things about that show. We haven't had the opportunity to set up at it, but uh, a lot of our friends have over the years. That is so awesome. That's so cool. And it's just great that that's because the, demand for collectors is so high and the the hobby has just grown exponentially that all these giant conventions and festivals are popping up. I mean, it just shows how strong the toy market is right now. Yeah. I mean, people, people love their plastic crack, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's people of all ages and it's, it's fandoms of all types and it, you know, it, it's, it's really such a robust industry right now. It is. It's the best disease to have. It really is. And I, I fully admit I don't want the cure. I'm fine with it. You know, every now and again, it takes a hit on the wallet. But you know what? You cannot replace the joy of walking into your toy space and that feeling you get immediately upon seeing your collection. That feeling in your gut is priceless. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a, a big thing that we talk about in the store is about like collecting what you love and like mm-hmm. focusing on the, you know, the toys that really excite you and, you know, make you feel good and not just collecting out of obligation or collecting because you're speculating that something's going to be worth money or whatever. Cause like you don't want to walk in a room and go like see a pile of stuff. And go, yeah. That might be worth money one day. You want to walk right. into that room and go like, Holy cow. That is awesome. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. And it, I mean, if you're, a true collector, you're going to collect something that brings you joy. It's not about how am I going to flip this? Because you might not 
end up being able to resell it for whatever reasons. There is a myriad of reasons why, you know, condition, something could break. So if you're stuck with a toy, you want to be happy with it. You want it to bring you that joy, you know, and not just look at it as pure, like I'm going to flip this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, nostalgia is such a, an important part of, of collecting and, you know, and, and that's an emotion and, you know, the, the joy and excitement around toys is, is I think what makes them special. And, you know, we, we find it's very important to lean into that. I couldn't agree more, my man. And I thank you as always for donating your time. People love to ask you toy questions. So I would love to have you back on soon so we can do a whole other round of toy related questions. And I actually have one more for you. What are the upcoming events at the store? Is there anything going on? Any signings people should be aware of? Uh, Floor is yours. Uh, no new signings booked as of right now. Of course, right now being the holiday season, yeah. um, we're in our big push for Toys for Tots. Um, yeah, that's great. You know, uh, you know, the nice thing about podcasts is, is that you can have listeners from around the world. Um, so, you know, of course, if you're ever in the area, feel free to stop by. You can buy something or bring something in to donate. Um, if you can't make it to our store, please look, you know, Google Toys for Tots in your area, try to find some, some local destinations. Um, you know, remember how toys made you feel when you were a kid. And then remember that when you're going to, you know, go get a donation to put in that bin. Cause there are a lot of people out there that can't have the, the Christmases that they want and anything we can do to kind of make, make the holidays better for, for those families is great. Um, you know, and then other than that, you know, the it's gift giving season. So, if uh, if you need a, a a toy for that special collector in your life, you know, of course, come to the toy department. And if you can't make it to us, there's a lot of other small business toy stores that would love to see you this year. I, I have to pimp the store out. I'm sorry, Kenny, but you if you're out there and you're listening to this, you need to go to the toy department. You really do. It is so, like I was just saying earlier, like I need to go back. I'm going to go back because. You know, not only is the staff like the fine gentleman I'm talking to right now, extremely knowledgeable on everything, you're just you're going to have an amazing experience there. It's really just you you can't put a price on that feeling. You're going to walk in, you're going to you're going to experience joy, you're going to see every toy line from your childhood and you're going to say, "God, this was worth the trip." So please, if you're listening to this, Put it on your bucket list and get there. Fairfield, Ohio, the toy department. It's it's just awesome. It really is. Well, thank you very much. If I, uh, if I need someone to put together some ad reads for me, I'll have to hit you up. That was a <laughs> ringing endorsement if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you, my man. And know that it comes from a place of sincerity. I meant every word I said. So thank you, Kenny. You're, Absolutely. You're, you're welcome. And I'll, you know, I'm happy to be back whenever you'll have me. Well, yeah, that's going to be soon. So I'm going to be hitting you up because people love you. They love talking about toys. So I guess the only other thing I need to tell you is have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and an incredible Christmas and holiday season. And I just want you to hold on for one second so I can thank you off air. 
for both parts of this interview. We have now part one and part two, so it's great. <laughs> but for Kenny Kepnick, this is Brian Hobson for Footsteps in the Attic. And by the way, go visit the toy department. We'll see you next week.